0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights here with Ken Capel doing our hockey dueling questions. Uh, thanks sponsors, Heritage Auctions, Hugging the Scott Auctions, Tops, Panini and Upper Deck, Mike Stadium Sports Card, Burbank Sports Cards, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, as well as ComC.com. Here's the dueling questions between a serious hockey guy, Ken, who's been on before. Ken, uh, thanks for your questions and uh, your answers as well. So here it is. Welcome, Ken Capel, hockey dueling questions. Hit me with your best shot. All right. I've always
1: thought this. Beckett Hockey was the fourth one to go. You started with the baseball, then you went to football and basketball, and then hockey with the iconic Gretzky LA Kings photo on it. Talk, break, go, peel back the curtain, like some of the discussions. Was it something that you knew you had to do? Was there a lot of call to do one? Obviously, baseball was a no-brainer, but what got the hockey okay. rolling?
0: Well, well two, two, two things that are not widely known. One is what? that my parents had a partial season ticket to the LA Kings, along with my brother. And when I was in LA visiting them, I got to see Gretzky. Once he got, I guess you'd say traded, <laughs> it was a deal to bring hockey to the United States. So Gretzky coming to LA was a big deal. That was a big part of it. And I witnessed that, and that was a lot of fun seeing him. So I'd go home, see my parents, and try to pick a time when they had some tickets. The second thing that's not widely known is that Denny was down the street, and he was the king of Set. The Czar of Pro set, the Pooh of Pro set, and was nothing if not a master 110% promoter. And he was promoting from the get go that hockey is for real, which it already was. It already had its own following. But uh, we had uh, adopted the course of doing single sport magazines, which was not the conventional wisdom. But he was saying, hey, when he can do hockey, when he can do hockey. Frankly, I give him some credit because he got hockey distribution. In fact, I don't know that he was single-handedly responsible for the junk wax era, but but within hockey, he put a living set out there in hockey. And for a few years, there were pro set hockey cards all over America, not just Canada. And so I I give Led some credit for lobbying for it. And I, I was pretty immune to his lobbying efforts. On the other hand, the substance of it was there were hockey cards all over the place, Partly thanks to him. There was score as well and tops, but, and then upper deck came along. Yeah. But Ludd was right here in my backyard, in my side yard. He was down the street and was a, a tireless promoter and really wanted to build the hobby. So Beckett Hockey Monthly, thanks Ludd. <laughs> and oh, thanks to Al great. Muir and some of the other guys that we brought in that were really into hockey, because that's the other thing it required. Dave Slipka originally came in as a hockey analyst. Mike Hirsch, that I've already uh, attributed. Uh, Tom Layberger, EJ Raddick. Uh, in fact, we had a stronger hockey team than anything else because it was not my strongest sport. So once we got going, it took off and it a really good success right from the beginning. And thanks to those guys. And thanks wow. to people like you, the hockey passionate aficionados.
1: Yeah, that's one thing. We're small, but uh, we are passionate, our hockey base.
0: <laughs> okay, so my question for you, just following up on that, because if you looked at the history of the hobby. To what extent was hockey, were hockey cards a willing participant or an innocent bystander in the junk wax era? And I think I've already tipped my hand a little bit, but go back to the late 80s, but especially early 90s. What was going on with hockey was trying to be like all the other sports, I think. If
1: it's not. Yeah. What's oh, it, 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 yeah? I think a lot of it was right around the time where Gretzky came to America. That was the big thing. I put that as the big shift because now suddenly you had the number one hockey player at the time, and I agree, the number one all-time player, suddenly now in a U.S. city that you know, was not anything hockey-wise. L.A., not even a hockey town in terms of cold weather. You think of Minnesota or those colder cities, and then to have sh- p- play people in shorts <laughs> playing hockey yeah, on a beach. So I think really turned it on. And then it was right in that time with ProSet. ProSet laid it out, to your point, the master promoter there, getting it out there. And, and ProSet, at the time, when I first started collecting them, I was like, "Wow, these were different. They just look different." And the chase element with all the errors—that was something that also got that out there. And then they had that elusive Stanley Cup, which was the, the, which to this day I'm still looking for one, still trying to buy. So I think it was the perfect storm in that everything rolled in at one time, and then Gretzky setting that off was yeah, like the, the thing.
0: They got swept up in it. You're saying so? If they're if Gretzky stays in Edmonton then is not emergent in the US as much. And maybe mm-hmm. production doesn't shoot through the roof and maybe Ludd's not as interested in a license, so.
1: I would think so, yeah. Here, here. Just look at that tops card of Gretzky with the LA Kings jersey. Okay. To this day, people Probably. want that card. Absolutely. Okay, your turn for me. Vintage cards, pre-upper deck days, pre-junk wax era, let's say. You either had OPC or you had tops, And Gretzky is an example where you've got two rookie cards of Gretzky. Now, when you look at today, and I looked at McDavid, Crosby, Ovechkin, and McKinnon. Between Crosby, Ovechkin, McKinnon, and McDavid, you've got anywhere from 18 to 27 different rookie cards. Do you think that's oversaturation? Because when there was only two made, how many could there have realistically been out there? As opposed to when you add up all the print runs for the McKinnon or McDavid at 21 and 27, there's a lot more out there. And I know it's choice, I'm a young guns person. That's where I go. But even that, there's, those are not serial numbers. There's more
0: than that in some of these other sports. I probably am a purist and similar to you in the sense that I think two seems short and 21 or 27 seems long. But some of these other sports have far more than that. When it's confusing, if somebody's got so many rookie cards, I don't like that as well. It's extra complicated. I don't like things to be extra complicated. I want them to be extra simple. And the Gretzky example, there are two cards that are From Actually, close at hand, you can detect which one is which, even from the front, I think, just on the kind of the matte finish. But they're very similar. They look for different cardstock and different cutting. But these other many brands, and even with one licensee, if it's just upper deck, they're still cranking out a whole bunch of different sub-brands. I'm in agreement with you. I'd like to see some consolidation, but I don't know it's going to happen because... That's what drives the products in many cases, and they've got to make their guarantee. I don't think we're getting a vote on that. And, and this year's collector is trying to get the, the latest guy. And if there are more choices, there are more choices. I just think mm-hmm. there's a book paradox of choice. When there's too many choices, consumers throw up their hands.
1: So there's an yeah. optimum, and I think it's in between. I watch a lot of videos, and there are a lot of products, OPG, Chrome, OPG, you know, Platinum, and then Aurora, where they breeze right through the rookies. It's a oh, big deal, a rookie card. Eh?
0: Unless you get closer than arm's length, they look the same, a paper version versus a Chrome version. It's a subtle difference to a non, but to a serious collector, they, they know which one to pick. I've played some backyard kind of things, and I'm not a good skater. But I've played a lot more basketball, baseball, and and football. So when something happens that's bad in baseball, basketball, and football, I know whose fault it's somebody scores Mm -hmm. a touchdown, Uh, I can see who didn't do their job. I can't do that as well in hockey. And so part of the understanding of knowing who to buy, who to collect in hockey is knowing who the better players are. And other than looking at who gets the all-star selections and things like that and who's on the winning team, what does it take for somebody... To know enough about hockey that they can figure out who the next great young defenseman, because he's not making mistakes, or Mm -hmm. is he maybe just on a great team? So how much do you have to follow hockey in order to get an advantage in the prospecting of cards of young players to know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are when it's not statistic driven? So I'm mainly talking about defensemen.
1: Yeah. Funny, I just had this conversation two days ago. With my son, we were talking about, because we have a defenseman here in Columbus named Zach Wierenski, and he has developed into a very nice number one defenseman. The question is, what's after Zach? It's a bunch of threes and fours back there. Not to slight anybody, but they're just not where they need to be.
0: How do you know that? They're out of position? They're, they're Yes. Position. Yep handle
1: the puck very well or that's yeah you could tell they don't want to shoot a lot of times they they don't want to shoot the puck from where they are they're looking to pass when you get a kid that's out in Colorado first of all when you watch a game and I'm a lot like you where I sort cards during games and I I sometimes multitask I hear his name all game long and growing up in New York same thing was with Dennis Potman you heard his name all game long That is one of the differences. When you don't hear something, they've disappeared. And then when you watch the replays and you can see, because I do the same thing. I'm like, whose fault was that? What happened there? Was it the goalie's fault or did the defense kind of sell them out? on that one. And you can look and see the defenseman rushed a little bit. They didn't take their time. They didn't clear the puck and they wound up giving it away. And in today's NHL, you give the puck away in your end, not a good percentage of the time it's in the back of the net f- five seconds later. So you have to really look for that. But when you're seeing the guy up ice in the passing, when he's quarterbacking the power play, also when they're out there in all situations too, you don't want a specialist. If you got someone that's just quarterbacking your power play, they're very one dimensional. You want the guy out there that the coach looks down the line and says, I want you on penalty kill, five-on-five, five, and power play. Yeah. Those are the guys that you want. And then now even with this three-on-three three overtime, that's the other thing. And that's where you're hearing these guys' names. That's where Wrenski, that's where Kale McCarr. Those are where those guys are out there and their names. They're one of the faces of the franchise, like the old days when Ray Bork was out and Dennis Potvin and right. Al McG- and Al his 110-mile-an-hour slap shot.
0: I just I have the dilemma of Paul Coffey and Grant Fuhrer. In their Oilers days, how good did you have to be as a goalie when the puck was always in the offensive zone with Gretzky and Messier and Yari Curry and those guys? And so coffee just had to get it up to him. And he really just was another winger. But anyway, so I just think it's trickier in hockey. That's my sense. I think you're confirming that. But the sports card insight is I don't think I pretend to know more than I do. If you're really not that up on hockey, at least to know who the big names
1: are. Graded. I've always heard of the graded card; it's the best of the best. The card can have thousands, millions, hundreds of thousands, whatever the number is of cards. Now, the best of the best get graded because I'm looking at some stuff here, and, and you said you always want to try to get the ones that maybe haven't peaked yet. Yeah. And I'm looking at with the grading; it's like maybe it's the pandemic, maybe it's what's going on in the world right now. But when you look at the amount of cards that are being graded today of the newer cards. Example, Connor McDavid, because I have a Young Guns 9.5. There is over 7,000 9.5 Connor McDavid's out there. And you look at Sidney Crosby, which is a 10-year earlier card, he's only got about 2,000, 2,200 to be exact. But yet, they sell for about the same and they're valued about the same. Is that just... A statistical anomaly, or is that something with, with the way things are now? That's the way it's going. The operative
0: word is now, and it's not necessarily the way it's going. It's the way it is right now. But the analytics and the card ladder guys I know do this: is that if the if a Crosby nine point five doubles in price for one of his one of his cards, the nine version of that is probably shortly thereafter going to move up a little bit too, and so they play those uh, ratio games. But what you're talking about is the way it is now and this has happened forever in the hobby, is that the rules of economics can be bent, maybe even broken for a while, <laughs> but eventually a supply and demand, if there's four times as much supply for the price to be the same, you have to have four times the amount of demand. And if you fast forward 10 years, will that be the case? Although I don't know that uh, Connor McDavid be finished with his career, but 15 years, let's say. And we're looking back in a retrospective and they both are Actually, that's my next question for you about the Mount Rushmore of hockey. And I I think both those guys are not in the top four, but they're very close. And McDavid, if he keeps going. So yeah, that's the way it is. And your analytics point out there's an opportunity for an adjustment there. Because if it looks out of whack to you right now, but you're looking at it in a way that others aren't looking at it yet, but eventually, I think with what GemRate is doing, there's going to be more and more publishing of these relative pop report numbers that are going to point out these anomalies. And they never seem to say that card must be overvalued. They always say the other one must be undervalued. So I think analytics win in the end, but they don't always win today. So keep going on the analytics, but it's like shorting a stock. It's Mm going to go down when you're shorting a stock. It has to go down during the, the, the strike period or whatever. And those adjustments don't always happen immediately.
1: So Yeah. It got me thinking when a, a very good friend of mine, we were talking about SP Authentic and Upper Deck Young Guns, and he is an SP Authentic, I'm an Upper Deck Young Gun, and take Crosby, Ovechkin, and McDavid added a conversation. But everybody else, their Young Guns are close to or more than the SP Authentic, and there was a numbered to 9.99, and Young Guns aren't. And I it, know it's what people like, but at the same point, he was like, "Boy, I think I've been collecting the wrong set all these years. I should have done what you did. We'll go to the Young Guns." But if
0: if it. Depends on how many people think that. And right now it's a certain way, but there's no assurance that a year from now, five years from now, it couldn't flip.